Pew Bible, page 782. Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What, an on, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the pole that he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Well, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to the one to one of the king's most noble princes. Let him robe the man that the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything that you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse he robed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all of his friends everything that had happened to him. His, his, his advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai before whom your downfall has started is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. And while they were talking with him, the king's servants arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Divine reversal. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but before, I, before we get there, i got a confession. So I'm so excited to be back, right? <clears throat> so excited that this morning, I got to meet a police officer from the Bridgeport Police Department. <laughs> divine reversals. Don't forget. Okay, listen. Divine reversals. And this is also to know, let you know that your pastor's not perfect. <laughs> So I meet the police officer, <laughs> right? Right? So I've got this whole sermon in my head. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, divine reversal. Here it comes, divine reversal. Yep, sign here, please. Yes, sir. But I do get an opportunity on May 18th to meet the mayor. Right? What am I doing? I'm still thinking divine reversal. <laughs> divine reversal. <laughs> Quite honestly, and, and I know that I laugh and I joke, but I know that you know that I'm serious. I'm excited to see what God's going to do with this. Was I wrong? Absolutely. No questions asked. But what can God do through a situation that you move in humility and in grace and the opportunities that we get, even in the wrong, even in my wrong, there's an opportunity for God to be put on display. True? So it's exciting to see. So, maybe towards the end of May, I may have a little testimony about divine reversal. We'll see. <clears throat> but we're here today, and we're going to walk through the rest of Esther. <clears throat> Kathy McLeish started it last week, and again, Kathy, thank you so much. Um, did a great job of reviewing the story and bringing out some great points. And I wanted to, to share some of those again this morning, because th they were just so dead on. First, <clears throat> every moment matters to God. Use these moments to accomplish big things. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> In the ordinary stuff with ordinary messed up people is where God loves to work. I thought about that this morning when I was sitting waiting for Officer Collins. <clears throat> when you see what God is doing in your small moments, you will be ready for your defining moments. It's a good one. Lastly, God can turn the ordinary into the extraordinary through you. A lot of us would look at that and go, you know what, I, mm -mm, nah, I don't want that. That means it's going to push us, it's going to take us outside of our comfort zones. But that's what Esther's about. And it was placed in the Scriptures so that we can see that as a testimony. To be able to receive that in our own lives. And go, you know what, that can be me. So again, Kathy, thank you so much. It was really good. Today we're going to finish off the book. And as we get started, I want to further define our title, Divine Reversal. A divine reversal is when the devil, the enemy of God and ours, has a plan to hurt us or to harm us. And then it all changes for our good to the dismay of the enemy. That's a divine reversal. Sometimes we can describe it as we're watching something move in one direction and then all of a sudden everything changes, everything shifts, and it goes in a different direction and someone is left standing there dazed and confused. Now at points that's funny because we see it whether it's a sports, whether it's what other situations in life. Sometimes it's funny to watch that person stand there dazed and confused because they just got had. Right? Sometimes we use terms like a dramatic comeback or an underdog story or the tables have turned. It's one of the reasons why we enjoy the Rocky films so much is because we have an underdog that comes and he beats the champion and he becomes the people's champion. That's great. We love that stuff. But there are reversals that happen spiritually. 
And when it happens spiritually, it's divine. So when the enemy has something planned for our destruction, when Satan is looking to steal, kill, or destroy, and God steps in and changes those directions, that church is a divine reversal. The book of Esther is full of them. But for those to happen, it takes humility, it takes faith, and it takes courage. But God can bring divine reversals in your life and in my life that will put Him on display for everyone to see. Sermon in a sentence. God will position you for your purpose if you will let Him. If you will let Him. Before we get into the story, I would like to share a few insights. One, God has committed to protect you even when you don't see it. Second, be courageous. Be courageous. Third, God's plans for you cannot be thwarted. Fourth, things are not what they seem. And sixth, things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. Remember, humility, faith, courage. Last week, the story left off with Esther and her handmaidens, Mordecai and all the Jews fasting for three days before Esther went into King Xerxes. Remember that part? Fasting for three days. Got a question. How many have fasted? Okay. Fasting is an amazing, powerful spiritual discipline. It's a tool. It's a weapon. Esther and Mordecai and, and all, they, they fasted for three days. Daniel, chapter 10, fasted for 21 days. Abraham, 40 days. Jesus, 40 days. Fasting is powerful. The disciples have even came to Jesus, and they're like, we're trying to cast these demons out, but we can't. And Jesus is like, oh, well, you know, they come out by prayer and fasting. And the disciples are like, what, what's prayer and fasting? What is, what is fasting? What is that? And it's just that point of denying yourself. Denying yourself. And, and we, we get a... a I was going to say we get a taste of it in Lent. <laughs> Probably not the right word to use. But during Lent, we, we step into that, and, and we may fast from chocolate, or we may fast from TV or radio or things like that. <clears throat> but fasting, when you get to the point of, of denying yourself food and just drinking water, or neither, you never will understand the power of a Dorito when you get that far. I'm telling you, you think, you know, the Bible talks about stumbling blocks. Never did I ever think that a Cool Ranch Dorito would put me on my knees. But it will. But you understand there how much more you need to deny you for the heart of God to move forward in your situation. 
So Esther and her handmaidens, they're fasting, right? And Esther knows if she goes in front of the king and he does not extend his golden scepter, then she will die. One of the last things that was read was, if I perish, then I perish. So in her mind, she doesn't know. She is fasting and she's in the middle of this practice that God had given his people to do to honor him and to worship him. And what is she doing? during those three days. She's putting a banquet together. Really? Take some guts, as far as I'm concerned. You're going to fast for three days and live in the kitchen? That's brave. That's courageous. But even during those three days, Esther had given herself over to the Lord and had spent her time not eating, not drinking, but fixing a banquet for the king and Haman that she didn't even know if she would get to attend because the king might not hand out his golden scepter to her. That, church, is faith. So you have her humility of denying herself. You have her faith of moving forward to put a banquet together. And then you have her courage. Starting of chapter 5, she steps before the king. Knowing that she has fasted and her country has fasted for three days, but she steps in front of the king, praying she will have an opportunity to invite him to the banquet that she spent putting together. And she does. You see, during those times of fasting, we could think that, okay, I have a situation happening in my life, and I am going to fast and pray about that situation. And that time, we spend thinking, okay, God's going to talk to me at any point in time. And you're looking under every rock, you're looking for a fingerprint that He may show you to give us an indication of where He's taking us, or what the result of this situation might be. Esther didn't have that. Blindly, she put a banquet together in faith, with courage, in her humility, trusting God had a plan. She's a tough lady, isn't she? A lot of times we think power and strength comes from a physical standpoint, but somebody who can do that is strong. Agreed? That's where God's calling us, church. That's where He's calling us. But she does go before the king, and he extends the golden scepter to her. And he asks her, what is your request? And she says, I have a banquet planned. I would like for you and Haman to come to that banquet. So they do. They get to the banquet, and the king asks her again, what is your request? And she says, if you come to the banquet again tomorrow, then I will tell you. Well, at that point, the king heads off back to his palace, and Haman heads home, and he's excited. He's like, man, I just got invited to the banquet with the queen and the king, and man, I was the only one there. There was nobody else that was invited. I got to go. It was wonderful. So he's telling his wife, and he's telling all of his advisors, and, and they're like, man, this is fantastic. But on his way home, he walks through the king's gate, and there's a gentleman that is sitting there named Mordecai. And as he walks through the king's gate... 
All of the other people stand up and they bow. So, oh, Haman, you're so great. You're so amazing. Not Mordecai. He's like, Mm-mm. nope, I'm sitting right here. He can walk on by. And Haman is furious. But he doesn't do anything about it. He walks on home. So he gets home and he's telling his wife all about what happened and, and how he was the only one invited to this banquet. And he goes, but man, there's that guy Mordecai. And I was walking through the king's gate. He didn't bow. He didn't, wasn't even afraid of me. And so they get together, his advisors and his wife, and they say, build some gallows. Hang him. He's like, you know what, that's what I'll do. So he tells his advisors, go build the gallows. 75 feet tall, they build these gallows. Well, the king ends up back in his palace, and he can't sleep. So what does he do? Hey, bring him one of those books that is about me. That'll help me fall asleep, right? It's like when we fall asleep, you know, if we need to fall asleep, we're like, okay, get us the most boring book ever, and, you know, hopefully that'll put us out. But he's like, no, I, you know, I want to listen to the chronicles of my reign. And so as that is being read, the situation that Mordecai thwarted, the plot of the king's assassination, came up in the Chronicles. And that's where King Xerxes says, what has ever been done to honor this man? Nothing. The king asks, is there anyone in the court? Just so happens, right? Kathy said this last week. Sometimes we use these terms. It just so happens... Haman walks into the court. Haman gets invited in. The king wants to talk to him. He says, what would I do to honor a man? Selfishly, Haman's like, I'm the best. I'm the greatest. Who else in this kingdom should be honored except me? This is what you should do for him. And the king's like, do that to Mordecai. And you know, Haman, I mean, all of the gears start stripping in his head. You mean the guy that wouldn't bow down to me? You mean the guy that I walked through at the king's gate and he's not afraid of me? Now, he didn't say any of this to the king, but you know all of that is mumbling under his breath. We know that because we've been there. Situations have happened in our lives where we're like, oh my gosh, I just can't believe this is happening. I, mean, I got put in this situation. You might have to honor this guy. Not only do you have to honor this guy, you have to walk around the city and yell and scream that he's being honored instead of you. So as Haman is telling all of this to his family, the king's servants show up because he needs to go back to the second banquet. And so he does with the king and the queen. And the king asks Esther, what is it that you would request of me? Spare my life. Spare the lives of my people. And the king is blindsided. Like, what do you mean? Who, who, has, who has brought all this about? Haman. So a guy's day goes from bad to worse real quick. Because all of what he has been conspiring is being revealed. You see, this is partly where we as believers need to see spiritually that God is moving and working in all of these situations and circumstances. Now, in the book of Esther, this transpires quickly. Though the edict came out in 
like February, and was not to be fulfilled until the 12th month, which we would have looked at it until December. But even, we all know, especially the older we get, 11 months ain't a long time, is it? <laughs> no, it isn't. As a matter of fact, it, that time passes much faster than we would ever really think. But though we get into these situations where we're calling upon the Lord for a divine reversal, we want it tomorrow, if not tonight. This afternoon would be better, God. I don't know what your plans are. But the faster you can pull it off, the better. But in time and in patience, God is moving and He is orchestrating. The question is, in those seasons, church, are we trusting Him? And I know... As the days pass, the answer is yes. Because I watch my life and your life grow in trust of who God is. That's one of the things He's teaching us, isn't it? Who He is and that He can be trusted. So as all of this is transpiring, Esther points out Haman. The king gets frustrated, leaves the room, and Haman goes to Esther to plead for his life. And he grabs onto her, pleading. During that time, the king has calmed down a little bit, only to walk in to see his trusted advisor hanging onto his queen. Mm. Haman, it's getting worse every moment. And sure enough, the king thinks, you're trying to take advantage of my wife. I mean, this is really a story, isn't it? And Haman's like, oh no. And king's like, that's it. He's done. By the way, there's a set of gallows outside, 75 feet tall. Haman, guess where you're heading? So it's something to watch, and that's what happens. Haman gets hung. What was designed for one person's annihilation, we could look at it as a downfall. God saw it all. He saw everything that was happening. Everything that was wrong. And though He, God, is never mentioned, He is orchestrating and He is moving through all of it. That's why we can trust Him. He doesn't have to be named because He is who He says He is. And whatever it is in our lives that is has happened that the enemy is looking to destroy, to tear down, to mess up. God has a plan that's in motion. And his questions to us are, will you humble yourself? Will you be faithful and will you allow your faith to grow? And will you have the courage to step into it. I laughed and I joked about meeting the mayor down in Bridgeport. I have every plan of meeting her. Not because I think I'm great, but because I'm willing to step into a situation and, and let God use me however He would in that place. I may end up with the points on my license and, and paying the fine and all those things, but I may be walking out and have an opportunity to stop and pray for someone. Right? 
This Sunday when I was down at the beach, I taught on follow me. What does it mean to follow me? What does it mean? Will you follow me to the gas pump? Because the person that I have orchestrated to come to pump gas on the other side of you, I need you to pray for them. I need you to talk to them. I need you to encourage them. Follow me with faith, humility, and courage. And walk into these situations knowing that God has placed us there for a purpose so that we can be the light so shining before men. After Haman passed, all of his estate was given to Esther. The signet ring that was on Haman's hand went to Mordecai. And Mordecai was given permission by the king to write a new edict to protect all of the people. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, man, that could never happen to me. Why? Why? Does not God love you just as much as he does Mordecai that he does Esther? Absolutely. We need to grasp and understand and allow it to settle in our hearts that we are seen by God as extraordinary. We don't feel it because the enemy doesn't want us to know it. But we are. And the extraordinary doesn't mean that you're going to end up with your name in the Bible somewhere or in lights or in a book or anything like that. It just means that you get to step into something wonderful that God has created you to do and a place that He would allow you to be. It's amazing. But for everything to be turned over to Mordecai, and he get to write the orders to protect the Jews from destruction. That was a feast celebrated throughout the land. As a matter of fact, it is still celebrated today. February 25th and 26th of 2021, the Feast of Purim is celebrated by the Jews to remember their divine deliverance from the plot of Haman to destroy them. It's a reason to celebrate, isn't it? We can even look at our own lives and go, you know what, man, there has been some tough times in my life, and you know when you come out of that, there is a sense of victory. Right? Like, I won this one. Man, I, I, it didn't kill me. It certainly made me stronger. And there are points and times that we can even go back and go, you know what, man, it was April of such and such a year that this and this and this happened. But man, I tell you what, I, I'm, I am freed from that. I am delivered from that. I, I don't have to face that. I won. We have those own, our own personal anniversaries of things that God proved faithful, that He showed Himself strong. Now, we can have more of those anniversaries. Understanding that in our humility and in our faith and in our courage to step into these things and believing and knowing that God is working on our behalf, 
that it can open our eyes to see more of what God is doing behind the scenes. And that He is so much a part of our life that we get to follow Him in these times. God is committed to protect you even when you don't see it. Trust Him, church. Be courageous. God's plans cannot be thwarted. And you may go, well, Ian, such and such made a decision and it took everything off the rails. Does God not know that? Yes. Might you have to go around Smith's barn? You might. And guess what? That's okay. Because that path isn't necessarily a detour because God already knew that that was going to happen, right? So He has things along the way. And if you have a divine appointment out here and you feel like you have to go around Smith's barn to get there, this is usually what happens. If you would have stayed on this course, there were things that He would teach you along the way. Right? Guess what? You'll learn them. You will learn them anyway. And what God had orchestrated divinely for you to reach that appointment, you will hit that on time. Because He's never late, is He? And He's never early like we want Him to be. But He's on time. And it's having an opportunity for us to look at our lives and our, understand that. That even though we may feel like, oh man, I just got off course and, and it's really difficult because sometimes people's decision, and Lord knows everybody's got some free will and they'll use it, but they have this free will and these decisions are made that impact me. But if you're following the Lord, it doesn't impact you. It may be a different road than what you were expecting, but God is still with you. He is still leading you on your path, and He is teaching you and training you to set you up to meet your appointment. Things are not what they seem. This morning could have been a distraction for me. There are, more, <laughs> there are mornings, though, that I drive in here and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Got a full story this morning. But it has become part of what God wants to teach. And it is a living example out in front of everybody, isn't it? And that's part of what I'm called to do. So those things that I could be tempted to feel like I need to hide, I did something wrong, and this and this and this, yes, I admit it. But at the same time, can God use it? Yes, but things are not what they seem. So, so at the first moment that a situation happens, oftentimes we look at them and go, oh man, I see where this is going. Right? We use those terms, don't we? But do you? Do you really see what God's doing? And that's what we need to be praying for ourselves and for one another. But even Jesus said, he goes, I do the things I see my Father doing. Church, that's where I want to be. I want to see the things that my Father is doing, and I want to be a part of those. So oftentimes things are not what they seem. When you think it's falling apart, it's falling into place. I had a situation 
when I was in seminary that, um, and I may have told part of this story before, but I was working, was in a production manufacturing plant. Julie was working. Um, we were down in North Carolina, and I was going to school at that time. And at this production plant, I had to work second shift. Couldn't work first shift because I was going to school. Unfortunately, my production numbers were really, really good. So they wanted me to move to first shift. <laughs> but I couldn't do that. So in a span of three days, Julie had, her, had lost her job. We got in a significant car accident in downtown Raleigh. And we were laid up on the couch. I finally had enough meds in me to be able to go to work. And I got to work, and my boss calls me into his office. And he says, Ian, really appreciate all that you're doing. Love your production numbers. We're going to move you to first shift. I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, if you can't do that, then you can't work here. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, man, I, you know, and I explained what, what it all had happened and taken place. And I said, I, I need to continue to go to school, but I can't move to first shift. I just need to stay on second shift. I'm sorry, you can't do that. And in his laughter and drunken stupor, he says to me, man, looks like your life's falling apart. To this day, I mean, I can explain it. The Lord just really moved in me, brought me up out of my chair, and I said, no, it's all falling into place. And I walked out of his office. That catapulted Julie and I into working with neglected and abused children. That catapulted us to start a ministry. That catapulted us back to Virginia to work as a chaplain in a for-profit company. That catapulted us here. And by being here, it put me here. It did not happen in 11 months. But it happened. God is faithful. I can see His fingerprints through it. And I know I'm doing what I've been called to do. That is a divine reversal. Church, each one of us, as we think about our own lives, we can see these. They're there. Some of us may look back a little bit. Some of us may be in it at the moment. Some of us may be anticipating it, hopefully sooner than later. But we're in these moments where God is working for us while the enemy is looking to destroy us. But He is faithful, and He is strong, and He is kind, and He is loving, and He is peace. We need to remember those things as we humble ourselves, as we allow our faith to be built, and as we are courageous to step into our moments. He is there for us, church. He is there for us. And we need to remember that and hold tightly onto that. Because He is faithful and true. And He loves us more than we understand. Esther, a book of divine reversals. A book of God in action when we don't expect nor see Him nor hear of Him. But He is there. We have an opportunity to trust Him in all of our situations. 
Father, Lord God, I thank you so much for how you have blessed us and how you love us. Father, I ask you to build up our strength in our hearts. Father, I ask that you build our faith. And God, the, the situations that we're facing, help us to know that you're in it, that you know it, that you know of it. You know all the players involved. And Father, may we trust you. Lord God, I ask you to show us the things that you would have us do. Esther fasted. But God, what are things that you would have us do to further position us to allow your outcome to be the outcome. Lord, I just ask you to share those things with us. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessings upon us. And Father, may we feel how much you love us like never before. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.